Hello and welcome to Wattcast. My name is Roger Watson and these podcasts are dedicated to readings of various articles that I've had published in newspapers and magazines. They reflect my views on politics, the pandemic and current affairs. Thank you very much for listening. Net Zero, an outcome without a process. This is my review of Ross Clark's book, Not Zero, How an Irrational Target Will Impoverish You, Help China and Won't Even Save the Planet, published in the European Conservative of 16th of July 2023. It was headed with, it must not be forgotten, that these people are less concerned with producing energy in ways that will allow us to maintain our standards of living and make economic progress than with being anti-capitalist. The net zero slogan is on the lips of politicians of all shades, uttered by royalty and rock stars alike, and of course by those execrable people who padlock themselves to railings and glue themselves to public highways in the name of Just Stop Oil. Net zero, referring to the reduction of carbon emissions, has been sold to us as an achievable aim and one that we must achieve by around 2050. What few at the receiving end of this slogan know and few on whom most of the burden of achieving net zero will fall, is how little thought was applied between the invention and subsequent imposition of the net zero policy. Therefore, nobody has a clue how it's going to be achieved. Ross Clark, in his highly readable, entertaining and informative book, Not Zero, explains the origins of net zero and systematically demolishes the current ways we are trying to achieve it. Clark is not a climate change denier and he's not unconcerned with the issue of atmospheric pollution by the combustion of carbon compounds. Rather, he's concerned about how unbalanced reporting is distorting the picture on climate change and how we have become unduly concerned with this issue at the expense of so many other worthy causes. While it's true that record high temperatures are being experienced in some places, this phenomenon is counterbalanced by record low temperatures elsewhere. Notably, this is never reported in the mainstream media. The high temperatures bring considerable advantages for agriculture, for example, and humans are not passive players in the face of climate change. We've been adapting to changes in climate for thousands of years, and it is not inconceivable that we may do so again. However, Clark reckons that many of the current attempts that are being made to reduce carbon emissions in the West are ultimately futile at the global scale, given the copious amounts of carbon emissions coming out of China. Futile measures. The introduction of net zero as a name of the British government, COVID-19 measures aside, is one of the least democratic processes ever to produce a shift in policy that would have such an immediate and deleterious effect on the British population. While the embers of Theresa May's failed government were barely still glowing, she committed the United Kingdom to net zero as an outcome under pressure from the international environmental lobby. She then left office without having established any process for achieving such an ambitious goal. That this happened under a Conservative Prime Minister and that the baton was picked up so enthusiastically by her predecessor Boris Johnson is astonishing. The present incumbent, Rishi Sunak, is no less enthusiastic. Some of the measures that are supposed to help us achieve net zero were already in place by the time of Theresa May's resignation. Solar panels have adorned roofs in the United Kingdom for decades. They're unsightly and make barely a dent in our energy needs. Likewise, wind turbines have been visible 
across the British landscape for many years but make a minimal contribution to our energy needs. Solar panels are only effective when the sun shines, which it frequently does not in Great Britain, and wind turbines are only effective when the wind blows. In both cases, it's not possible to store up much of the energy generated. Largely, the wind and solar initiatives have failed, yet the only solution ever proposed, instead of waiting for research and development to catch up with the storage issue, is to build more solar and wind fields until they become the blight on the landscape that they are now. Picturesque hillsides are festooned with serried ranks of wind turbines, an arrangement which incidentally reduces their efficiency as it slows the wind down. Vast areas of arable land are covered with banks of solar panels, which glint up at you as you land at almost any airport in the United Kingdom. The landscape is truly ruined in some places. Electric vehicles are another major plank of the Zero Carbon Initiative. There have long been electric cars, mainly hybrids, which charge themselves as they are driven. They make use of the first law of thermodynamics, converting one form of energy, kinetic, into another, electric. Totally electric vehicles, which convert electric into kinetic energy, are also subject to the laws of thermodynamics, meaning that the energy needed to generate the electricity that charges their enormous batteries has to come from somewhere. With renewable forms of energy making relatively a small and unpredictable contribution to our national energy needs, this comes largely from burning fossil fuels. We may be removing pollution from our roads and city centres, which is laudable, but we are merely transferring the pollution to someone else, unfortunate enough to live near a fossil fuel-fired power station. False alarm. One obvious way of producing clean energy is nuclear fission, and Clark gives this a very honest assessment. It's not without its risks, as we know. But there are very logical explanations for why Chernobyl overheated, communism, and Fukushima leaked, geology. These sorts of events are rare and avoidable. But constructing nuclear power stations is extremely expensive, and there still remains the problem of nuclear waste. Nuclear fusion is a safe option, but is unlikely to work in our lifetimes in any case, whether by fission or fusion the word nuclear is enough for the eco-zealots to start screaming Armageddon. It must not be forgotten that these people are less concerned with producing energy in ways that will allow us to maintain our standards of living and make economic progress than with being anti-capitalist. Apparently they would be happier if we all returned to a Stone Age standard of living, provided the planet was saved and they were in power. Clark also treats wood burning and the use of trees as a means of carbon capture in depth. At least one major power station in the United Kingdom has shifted from burning coal to burning wood. This has made our carbon emission figures better, but not because wood burning does not release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. It does, and at far less return on energy than coal. Rather, it makes our figures better because wood is considered a biomass, and this is not counted in our carbon emission figures. We apply the same principles to gas, which we produce in lesser quantities in order to make ourselves look better, only to import it from abroad to satisfy our energy needs. Wood is a good carbon sink, so we do not, do not burn down our own trees, we let them flourish, and we import the carbon capturing wood, thus denuding forests in other parts of the world and leaving them to their fate. Clark relates how, whereas we once kept the trees along our railway lines well trimmed, we now let them grow freely in the name of rewilding and carbon capture. 
It is the branches from those same trees that fall and block the lines and disrupt our railway network. It would be very hard to make any of this up for a comedy routine. Sadly, for a frequent flyer like me, there was little solace in the chapter where air travel was covered. While the airline industry is cleaner than before, it will prove very difficult not to burn fossil fuels and large amounts of them in order to keep us in the air. I suppose this demonstrates one of Clark's central thesis, that it's easy to approve of and support net zero as a philosophy until it demands that you make practical sacrifices yourself. However, the urgency imposed on us by the net zero movement is false, and that is the real point of this excellent book, which I've hardly done justice to in this brief review. Net zero should be compulsory reading for every British Member of Parliament. After all, it was they who let this potentially disastrous policy pass with hardly a murmur of protest. Nonetheless, I take heart from Clark's reassuring assertion that we are not being fried, frozen, drowned, burned or blown away by human-induced climate change. This podcast was produced in association with youpublicationslimited.com.